You also want to make sure that you understand the side effect. For instance, the medication lithium has a toxicity level. Really understanding what the medications do is key for someone that's getting a mental health medication. I'm Leon Guidry, and this is the Brother Be Well podcast, sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Today, we're addressing trauma and healing with an emphasis on boys and men of color. It's about to get real with our hosts, experts, and guests. Gather around, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. According to the National Association on Mental Illness, 43.8 million people or one in five adults experience mental illness in a given year. 50% of adults with mental illness report experiencing symptoms prior to the age of 14 years old. And three in four say they did so prior to the age of 24. That's a lot of grown folks who've experienced the onset of mental illness very, very early in their lives. When someone in your care enters the mental health care system, either voluntarily or otherwise, it can be scary for them and for those who love and care for them. Crisis mental health related episodes can be overwhelming, leaving parents and caregivers feeling confused or experiencing anger, grief or guilt. It's important to remember that we all do the very best that we can with the information and resources that we have. And it's to that end that Brother Be Well produced this video to help you prepare for a mental health crisis. Preparation going into a mental health crisis can be key, and a part of preparation is understanding the ins and outs of a variety of systems so that you can be assured that you're doing what you can to ensure that your loved one is receiving the absolute best care possible. So today, we're going to get the lowdown on systems, and I can't think of a better person to help us do that than Cherie Kreiner. She's a registered nurse. She's a former psych nurse. And she's the vice president of the Capital City Black Nurses Association. Cherie, how are you doing? Great to see you. I am well. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back to Brother Be Well. Let's get on into this one, Cherie. I've been looking forward to it for a while. To get ready for this conversation today, I picked the brains of a few people who have known, loved, and cared for people who've entered, sometimes very, very quickly, the mental health care system. As a former psychiatric nurse, can you please tell us just how quickly one's condition or situation can escalate, necessitating entry into the mental health care system? Right. So in an instance, Michael, in an instant, literally someone can, um, it can be a chronic issue that builds up to an urgent state where they are um, in danger of harming themselves or others. Um, It could be um, medically induced where someone that Uh, was taking medication, abruptly stopped taking it, um, and now they don't have the mental capacity or they've created an urgent medical need. Um, It could be an event or a traumatic event that triggers uh, a response where uh, the symptoms are so severe they cannot be handled at home. So any of those situations that land you where you can't handle it at home, there's a safety risk for yourself or others around you, then that's when you may enter the system at many different points. I appreciate hearing that perspective from you, especially given your experience. Can you talk to us, Cherie, about emergency holds? I understand that's one option in crisis situations. Right. So emergency holds are put in place so that we can stabilize the uh, patient, Uh, whether it be at an acute psychiatric hospital or in an emergency department. um, It enables us to um, involuntarily hold someone to provide care to stabilize them. Um, up to 72 hours in some instances, and that can be um, extended longer. You may have heard the term 5150. 
um, which gives us the ability based on that safety need, right? They're um, in harm, uh, at risk for harming themselves or others. Uh, and so that 72 hours gives us time to do an assessment, to stabilize, whether it be with uh, medic- medication uh, or just physically restraining. So sometimes that requires like, you know, restraining the arms or, or wrists and things to prevent harm. Um, so that acute phase is just to say, hey, let's get you out of the danger zone and assess what needs to happen moving further. And if a longer hold is needed, there's a pathway for that. Um, or if a different level of care is needed, there's a pathway for that. So the you know safety first, and then assessment, and then figuring out what the next best step is based on how you progress in that 72 hours. And you mentioned that 5150, the emergency hold for adults, there's a 5585 is the same thing for minors, I understand. So just so our viewers may hear those terms. I know 5150 gets thrown around a lot, but you don't hear much about the 5585. That's for minors. It's the same thing. Emergency hold 72 hours to help stabilize the situation. Correct. And then a 5250 is a, a an additional hold if beyond the 72 hours, there's still um, a medical need to uh, keep the person. They're still not able to make decisions on their own based on their mental status or they're still in harm, uh, at risk for harming themselves or others then there's a method to extend that hold a little longer. And then at a certain point, then that uh, that case has to go to court and someone has to hear the case and decide that there is a mental health need to hold beyond um, that initial point. So we do have those in place. I really appreciate hearing it. I know a lot of people will too, um, um, Cherie. Let's talk about the process of having yourself, or I'm sorry, having a loved one involuntarily admitted. So the person in your care, they're not happy about this, but you as the caregiver make a decision and you have them involuntarily admitted into a facility. Why might that be recommended? If you could share some of the reasons why that might be recommended. And please tell us what we might need to know about that process. Right. So you have to understand that um, the healthcare professionals have to assess the situation very quickly and they have to do what's best. So safety first, uh, making sure that this person is stable, that they're not, uh, they don't have the means to harm themselves, that they don't have the means to harm others, and that if, for instance, um, they were on medication and stopped, and then they need to get back on it, that they're safely taking uh, those medications to to bring that chemical balance back to a therapeutic range. So though no one wants their loved one to be taken from them or a decision made on their behalf without them being involved, sometimes it's necessary because we're tasked with doing the right thing and doing what's safest and best at the moment. Um, If you have a loved one that you care for a long term and you feel like they chronically are unable to make healthcare decisions for themselves or even financial decisions due to their mental health issues, then you definitely could explore Uh, guardianship and conservatorship that gives you some say if the court and their medical provider finds that they need someone to advocate on their behalf. So other than just the acute situations, if you're a caregiver or a loved one that takes care of someone all the time, you may want to explore some of those options where you can be in the driver's seat and make some of those decisions um, for your loved one. Appreciate hearing it, Cherie. Lots of great information there as well. Can you give us a picture of the inside of an inpatient psychiatric ICU? From what I've learned about them, just getting ready to talk to you, it sounds like 
the inside of one can be pretty intense. And I might even use the word scary based on some of the things I read. So if someone's kind of Googling things, if I didn't look things up, I, I want you to help us give us a real picture of what that might look like, the ins and outs of a psychiatric inpatient psychiatric ICU. I would say that it's it's scary, but I would use the word unpredictable because the behavior of your loved one is unpredictable. As I mentioned, they could be trying to harm themselves. They could be trying to harm others. So sometimes we have to physically restrain people. We have to chemically uh, restrain people so they may be more sedated or are not able to communicate in a way that you're used to. So it's really difficult outside looking in. I, I liken it to if you're seeing someone that had a heart attack and everyone's you know, doing CPR and pressing on their chest and they're bringing out the paddles to charge them. It's a scary situation. A lot is going on. You don't know um, what the outcome will be. You want to make sure that your loved one is okay. So it is definitely a hard situation to be involved in, but you have to trust and understand that the medical professionals are trained to deal with the situation. Um, And then you also advocate just by being supportive, being there, being present, being available to provide history or information to the staff, and then also asking questions at the appropriate times so that you know all the next steps and what's happening. Um, Specifically, if there's going to be a transition, um, as I mentioned, oftentimes people come through emergency rooms or emergency departments, and that may be the first stop, and they may be transported to somewhere else. So understanding what's happening now, what will happen next, and when you can talk to the um, the attending physician or the, the primary care provider that's handling the situation. There's always um, a physician that's overseeing um, everything that's going on. So where you can ask more questions. So, um, and then also being patient, there's a lot of moving parts. And so be patient. Um, and then I, I also encourage people that are spiritual to be prayerful. It's a difficult situation for everyone that's involved. Michael, uh, one of my first weeks working in a mental health facility. Um, I got kicked in the butt by one of the patients that was in an acute um, mental crisis. Um, it, and I remember um, one of the other nurses that was training and said, well, are you sure you can work here? Um, but my heart, it really compelled me to know that people really needed help and that they weren't doing it on purpose. Right. Um, and we were there to help them. So I kept that and did it for many years. Yeah. Yeah. Doing God's work. It's a cliche, Cherie, but you really are doing God's work, I think. And before we go into the next question, let me just ask this. Is it something you, I, I love the way you kind of walked us through a few different examples there about how very different and, and unpredictable, I like that better than scary, that the inside of a psychiatric ICU can be. Is it as simple as you're seeing a loved one in a totally different setting and then exhibiting behavior that you're not used to either? I mean, they wouldn't be there unless that behavior had gotten a little unpredictable. So maybe our, our listeners and viewers can just think about that. The whole thing has been, you've upset the apple cart in a way. So there are gonna be some things that might not look familiar to you, but they're all designed to, to provide care for your loved one and get them back to the place where they need to be. Absolutely. And I'd like to encourage everyone to think about mental illness like you would a broken arm or, um, or any other physical injury. Uh, it oftentimes people are hurt because their loved ones may be using foul language or being accusatory towards them or just doing things that are seemingly off or out of character. And so oftentimes family members and caregivers will become offended or think that something's happening to them. Or as I mentioned, 
you know, even up to being physically um, assaulted um, or spat upon or things like that. Um, and they want to blame the individual. But I'd like to encourage you to remember that this is a mental illness. It's a chemical imbalance. They don't have the ability to decide what's right and what's wrong in those situations often. So that's where you have some patience to understand that um, that is their broken arm uh, or issue that they need to get attended to. And so you definitely have to have some patience while um, that time is going through. I've seen a lot of family members be really heartbroken by what their loved one may say when they're going through a mental health crisis. Um, And I have to remind them that it's the mental health crisis and not the person that they know and love intentionally causing harm, right? Mm, I love the way you put that. Beautifully, beautifully put, Cherie. Thanks a lot. Uh, my next question relates to the the ages of the the age rather of the person that's in someone's care. This is the parents and caregiver series, and that the age of the person I understand is sometimes critical uh, with regard to access to information. Um, at that access is quite a bit easier, I understand, if that your your uh, the person in your care is under eighteen years old. How can adult caregivers, Cherie, make sure they have full access to adults in their care? and access to the information regarding their diagnosis and treatment. Right, so um, you wanna make sure that you have advanced care directives, um, which is a form that you can Google online. Every healthcare institution has them. Anywhere that you'd encounter a healthcare professional, you can get that document. And it basically is a way to outline who is supposed to have the information, um, who can have access to it, and the patient can give permission to Um, other persons to have access to their information. If it's a situation where the, uh, your loved one, um, if they're unable to sign over that permission to you, or there's a barrier and you are their primary um, caregiver, you can uh, go down to your county office and look into conservatorship or guardianship. I mean, that can just be over their health. It doesn't have to be over their finances. There's different types. Um, When I say conservatorship, Michael, a lot of people Um, I've heard that word in the news often related to Britney Spears as she has struggled publicly with her bipolar disorder and being under conservatorship with her family, um, meaning they have control over her um, health decisions and her financial decisions. So there's kind of been a stigma around it, but it's really put in place to specifically provide um, the ability of the person that's providing care for someone to have access to information and also access to decide when that person's unable to decide for themselves. I really appreciate it. That's a great example. You're right, Cherie. We're, we all saw that play out in the media. And I'm a lifetime media person, so I feel like I can say the media sometimes will sensationalize things. You know, it's designed to get people to watch. You want clicks. You, you want your, your uh, radio audio ratings to be high. So sometimes those details are sensationalized. So I really appreciate you kind of putting a... <laughs> for lack of a better word, putting a sane, look at, giving us a sane lens that we can use to, to look at conservatorships. Really appreciate that. Whether or not you gain access to information on the person in the system, identifying an advocate within that system, someone with whom you can establish a rapport, someone who will advocate for you and your loved one during that course of care, that might be something you wanna consider. Can you expound upon why finding an advocate within the system is so very important? Absolutely, especially when it comes to involuntary holds, there are persons involved. So there are case managers and social workers involved. You also have public entities like patients' rights that you can call 
Divine and Patient Advocate, as well as the Office of the Ombudsman, which is another advocacy, um, a government agency that's available to provide uh, advocacy. If you think that uh, something's being done to your loved one or not enough is being done, you can reach out to Patients' Rights in the Ombuds Office to get someone that's impartial, that doesn't work there, that can actually help advocate on your behalf. And then you can also use the resources within the facility, social worker, uh, case manager, charge nurses, the, psych the psychiatrist or psychologist that may be involved. Um, ask for those persons to work with and get all the information and contact, get that reliable contact. If you could find the one point of contact to ask all questions to and they advocate on your behalf, that's best so that you're not um, confused. And then take notes, write down who's involved in care, um, who to reach out for which concerns um, so that you can keep up. Oftentimes in facilities, there's shift work. So it may be different um, nurses and other uh, healthcare providers that may provide care for your loved one throughout um, each day or even parts of each day. So understanding how the system works, where they are, and who your point of contact could be is really vital. Cherie, if, if ever there's an honorary brother and brother be well, it would be you. You've got all of this information and experience. And I, I, I love the way you give us, you know, really concrete examples, taking notes. That's something I wouldn't have thought about because sometimes the information is just coming so fast and furious, I would think. And you need to just, you know, either on your phone or have a piece of paper and a pen and just take some notes so that when you get home, you'll remember so much of what you've been told. Absolutely. Even down to each day, like a lot of people will call their loved one um, that when they're in a facility, um, writing down who the nurse is for the day. So if you have to call back, you can call and ask for that person by name to decrease confusion, things like that. So really just keeping track so that it helps you because it's hard to remember when your brain is under stress. It's hard for you to remember as well. So yeah. uh, make sure that you keep track the best way you can. That's a great point. I was I was going to say that you're already worried. You're a little distracted because your loved one, you know, again, we've walked through it. They're going through something you haven't seen before. You might be a little uh, unsettled or scared, for lack of a better word. So it's best to take some notes and keep everything clear. So helpful, Cherie. Really appreciate that. Let's talk about a little bit before, before I have to let you go. Psychiatric medications. They may be prescribed for your loved one. And it, I think it's important that we know a few things about them. I would think, for example, um, families may want to keep a log. We were just talking about taking notes. So keep a log of those meds, a record of each medication, the, the individual dosage, any potential side effects that might be there or side effects that, that your loved one might have already been feeling by something that they're already taking. What else do we need to know about psych meds and how much research should parents and caregivers do on them before their loved one starts on a treatment regimen that includes those meds? Right. So absolutely what you mentioned, having a medication list, what you're taking, how often, um, so that someone could very quickly understand what may already be in your system. Um, also, um, understanding that those types of medications should be in a secure location, locked away from kids, pets, or other family members that may come by um, because they can cause harm to others or some people abuse some uh, psychiatric medication. So you want to make sure that they're in a secure location. Um, you also want to make sure that you understand the side effects or if there's a major side effect that you're aware of it. Um, for instance, the medication lithium has a toxicity level, um, which will cause some symptoms that may seem to be like a mental health crisis or even medical uh, symptoms that may occur. So you would want someone to look out for that. Like you may not know 
that it's happening until it's severe and then now you're getting emergency care. So you wanna understand if there is a true large risk um, of a medication or some medications cause a tremor and a mild tremor may be okay, but if that is increasing um, or worsening, then that's a sign to reach out to the doctor and get a change. So really understanding what the medications do and when to seek help if something happens is key in managing um, medications for someone that's getting um, mental health medications. Really appreciate hearing that too, uh, Cherie. So, and I know so many of our listeners, a lot to think about, and we understand that. We're, we try to keep these conversations very concise. There's a lot to think about, but certainly don't forget about medications, both going in the log and then paying attention to, to things and side effects and how your loved one is reacting is, is so very critical, so very important. Cherie, again, you're a former psychiatric nurse. I've said it before. You may be thinking of something that, that I've missed and we've missed in putting this conversation together. What other tips do you have for anyone who finds themselves navigating the mental health system, any mental health system? You know, my biggest tip, um, in addition to patience, is to not give up, um, especially if you are the caregiver or family member or friend. Um, there's nothing more important than your support um, in whatever form that may look like. So please don't give up on your loved ones. They need your support. They will need your support when they get through it and they're out of the um, the system, so to speak. So um, that's not only a gift to them, but also yourself to be able to be there for them when they need it most. So have some patience. And, you know, as I mentioned before, have some prayer too, if you're a spiritual person. Um, it's It means the world to have your loved one there and not just a room full of strangers, even though those of us that may be strangers are really doing our best to provide care for you. It just means something different when it's someone that's in your life. Yeah, it's, it's got to be so very difficult. And you mentioned prayer. It's a great time to be a prayerful person, I would think. But that reminds me of, of the self-care component. We didn't talk about it, but let's make sure that the caregiver is continuing with those self-care things that we've talked about at Brother Be Well. You got to take care of yourself before you can take care of somebody else. So don't forget to take care of yourself and do all of the things that you've outlined. Cherie Kreiner, I, I always get a little down when it's time to say goodbye. I hate that word, so I'm not going to use it. Until next time, Cherie Kreiner, Registered Nurse and Vice President of the Capital City Black Nurses Association, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. And I want to thank somebody else for this conversation, our sponsor, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. That initiative boosts access to mental health support. You can learn all about it. It's a fantastic program at bluesky.blueshieldca.com. That's bluesky.blueshieldca.com. Another quick website that you need to know about, this one, brotherbewell.com. If you've enjoyed this video or this podcast and you're interested in any one of a number of other topics related to the behavioral health of boys and men of color, go to that website, videos, podcasts, print pieces, links to resources, all kinds of information available to help you or the brother in your life. And that's anybody 13 and up, African-American, Asian and Pacific Islander, Latinx, or native and indigenous, and the LGBTQIA plus people who enhance those cultural communities. It's all right there at brotherbewell.com. Check it out. We're a membership supported service, but there's great news. Those memberships are complimentary right now. So you can sign up as a member completely for free. When you do that at brotherbewell.com, make sure you sign up for the blog as well. Give us your email address because then two or three times a week, you'll get notifications in your, on your phone or tablet or whatever you use, and we'll let you know when videos just like this one go live. All of that is at brotherbewell.com. Check it out. 
My name is Michael P. Coleman. I'm content director for Brother Be Well. It's a great honor for me to serve in that role for you. I want you to do two quick things for me. If you would, take great care of yourself. Please, please, please do that. And then when you get that down, reach out, grab somebody, take great care of somebody else too. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Brother Be Well podcast. Join the BBW membership at brotherbewell.com so we can learn to heal trauma together. Thanks also to Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative for sponsoring this podcast and supporting parents and caregivers in need. I'm Leon Guidry, and that's all for now.